covering all aspects of the legal and business cases. Today's full interview is with Ellie Southwood, chair of RNIB, and fresh from chairing the Accessibility Carrots and Sticks panel. Eleanor Southwood is here, or Ellie, if you prefer Ellie, uh, from RNIB, of course, chair of uh, RNIB. Uh, lovely to have you here. Thank you. Uh, so you've just chaired uh, one of the panels here. What was the, the panel called? So the panel was all about carrots and sticks in the context, of course, of creating a more inclusive world through websites, apps and digital technologies that people with disabilities can access properly. So to what extent do we need to be working really closely with businesses and taking the carrot approach and working together collaboratively? And then is there a point where we need perhaps to make greater use of of the stick? So the legal enforcement side of things. We heard from um, four really different panellists with with different perspectives, which was great. So in the US, um, people will perhaps be familiar with the fact that often more legal action is taken in cases like that. And I think our conversation revealed that sometimes that isn't always as helpful as it could be. And actually, sometimes a bit more carrot would would help. We also heard from Norway, where there is an organisation who inspect and enforce on specific websites. They've had a couple of quite high profile cases, one for an airline website where they imposed a fine um, of 15,000 euros per day uh, before the organisation got its act together and made it accessible. So that's also towards the sort of stick end of things. But we also talked about the incoming European legislation, which is quite a wide application um, about accessible websites and so on. And obviously thinking in our current context in the UK about how we implement that, uh, because it will be up to individual member states, whatever happens with the the B word, (laughs) um, it will be up to individual member states to, to implement that so um, you know it was a, a really fascinating discussion lots of really interesting themes around you know it's really important to work with businesses it's something we do a lot at RNIB so we're working with some of the airports at the moment on accessible kiosks we've done loads of work in the past with the Googles and Amazons of the world uh, and in fact the voice that you hear on your Amazon Echo was originally came out of an RNIB uh, project and introduction so uh, it you know some of these things have a fabulous legacy. It's interesting you have the title of this as Carrots and Sticks. It's not Carrots or Sticks. And, and why is that important? I think the importance of having both that collaborative way of working, but also knowing when it's time to get legal, that feels really important. And what we heard, I think, from all the panellists was that actually both of those things matter. And there's a third thing that matters too, which is also consumers, um, customers, disabled people, whatever phrase you want to use, actually being skilled up and having the confidence to use um, digital technology. So I think there have been a couple of examples where companies have made improvements, but perhaps people don't know about them. So we need to get the word out there. Also, perhaps don't have the confidence to use them. So we need to make sure there's a there's a third leg to that stool, I think, actually, which is something that came through really strongly in our discussion this morning. I think also it's important to say, and, and Robin, I know this is a story we've, we've talked about a lot, is the Domino's story. Uh, mm-hmm. You, of course, uh, have written about it and we've talked about it plenty. Uh, certainly the stick would be required there, I think, um, because you wouldn't be able to order your carrots otherwise, would you? Uh, <laughs> if you put carrots on a pizza. You couldn't customise your order, that's for sure. No, no, no. that's so, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the RNIB 
here in the UK have been almost unique in championing civil cases, claims against organisations. And while we're not as litigious as America is by any stretch of the imagination, you know, we have yet to see the, the stick being wielded with any impact, really. I mean, it's been nearly two decades of legislation and we're still in that, I would argue, single digits mm. if uh, George Rhodes's um, research is anything to go by. And certainly our own experience is that, you know, 90 plus percent of websites don't even meet single A. And the real life accessibility or usability for people with a range of disabilities is, you know, varies greatly. And it's a it's a harsh climate out there for people with disabilities. So the Norway approach, you know, it was really interesting that SAS their uh, national airline were given a year and then as soon as the uh, fine came into effect they sorted it out in 10 days how strange so <laughs> but, but does that not say that the stick is more important than the carrot then well absolutely both but yeah I mean the the business case for accessibility is overwhelming particularly now that on a daily basis over 50 percent of traffic to any given website is from mobile and we all know sitting around this table that people who use mobile to access content are in very real terms disabled or temporarily impaired on a daily basis. We have exactly the same requirements if you're you know, trying to access something on a bumpy bus or in a noisy train carriage or on a bright sunny day. Or if you're trying to order an Uber after a really good night out, you need extreme usability. All of those things um, play to accessibility or inclusive design so i would like to see strengthening of both carrots and sticks to really shift the needle but looking at you know uh, companies uh, countries like norway spain australia um strengthening that stick really does seem to have shifted the needle I mean, Ellie, from your point of view, looking at uh, RNIB specifically, do you think that the RNIB needs to become more litigious in a way to try and combat some of these challenges? Do you think that's something that, that the future of RNIB should it, it should be part of that? I think we should always have it in our back pocket. I think... Um, because we, the, the organisation doesn't do it much at the moment, does it? <laughs> well, quite often we don't do it because we end up not having to. Mm. Um, so that doesn't mean that we haven't... Uh, what shall I say? We haven't sent robust letters to various people which have, you know, made made sure that there's a response before we get to the point of taking legal action. So I think it's important to note that often this is a sort of success factor in the fact that we've we've managed to hold off the need to take legal action. But I do think perhaps sometimes we're a bit squeamish in the UK about doing that. I think we need not to see it as a first resort ever, but to make sure that companies public sector they know that we do have that available to us and that our community is really happy for us to do that on their behalf because I think one of the other reflections from this morning is about the extent to which it's fair to ask individuals to be taking legal action to take responsibility for this and I do think organisations like RNIB have a huge part to play in if you like that sense of class action so Mm. actually I think it's a huge ask of individual people to invest their emotional energy and their time and practical you know in in challenging things which are sometimes really difficult and sometimes can be quite um, unpleasant you know, difficult experiences. So I think RNIB has a role to play there in helping to advocate on our behalf. 
and it can be quite a dangerous uh, exercise for an individual to take on board. Yeah. There was a, a relatively recent case uh, in the UK. If the um, fees that people uh, accrue in taking a, a private action exceed the award, if they're successful, um, then they have to pay the fees. And there was a lady who was awarded £33,000 in damages in a case of uh, digital you know, exclusion. Um, but her fees were £33,000. So she was actually out of pocket at the end of the process. So, yeah, it's um, daunting, to say the least, uh, for you know, individuals to do that. Now, I've got a, a question about RNIB's position um, now with the public sector regulations. There's a named body, the EHRC, who are going to proactively monitor and compile reports on the sites that they have audited and that they are, you know, approaching to uh, become compliant. Can the RNIB proactively um, put in freedom of information requests against that public body and publish the list of companies that aren't compliant, that would certainly help. I think there is definitely an appetite within RNIB and a responsibility for us to start to be more proactive. We will always want to be led by what blind and partially sighted people tell us is important. So um, if we are working really collaboratively with an organisation who happen not to be compliant right now, we might hesitate before naming and shaming them in the interests of the sort of bigger prize but certainly and in principle I don't think you know I think that's absolutely something we should be doing more of especially now the information will be more readily available I think that's absolutely it's not a naming and shaming exercise but it kind of is (laughs) (laughs) which is uh, that's important isn't it but I guess the question is looking at this much more widely how big is the problem I mean, when we talk about this, we talk about the the potential solutions, carrots and sticks. But how big is the problem overall? I mean, we talk about website accessibility. Where do you think we are? I mean, you know, this is to both of you, I guess. Uh, but where where are we with it? I mean, are we are we at seventy percent accessibility? Are we are we at ten percent? Where are we in this? I mean, it's really interesting because Google, who are speaking here uh, at the conference. Uh, today and tomorrow, they're going to be talking about the accessibility checking application and tool that they have, which will make it much easier for both developers and users before they buy something from the Google Play Store to check how accessible or inclusive it is. And iOS, thankfully, um, you know, developers actually have to kind of break the accessibility by creating custom controls and not following the guidelines to make sure that they're uh, accessible. So I think on mobile, in the app environment, things are improving. And I think iOS is still the go-to platform there. But web, you know, applications, there are no such things as websites anymore. They're all web applications and JavaScript and um, Ajax, etc. And yeah, I thought I that think was cleaning fluid. You know, <laughs> that, that changed, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, the toilets are clean, but the websites are bad. So <laughs> I think it's a, a hostile environment still. And I'm sure that Ellie hears that feedback from RNIB customers, stakeholders on a daily basis. I certainly do. And I think it's... You know, it is important about percentages and numbers, but it's also important to remember what that means in terms of somebody's day-to-day experience. That makes the difference between somebody being independently able to book their own holiday and not being able to. 
And I think for most of the general public, the thought of that suddenly being taken away from them would be entirely unacceptable. And, you know, we shouldn't be accepting it on behalf of blind and partially sighted people either. One of the things that um, I think today's really highlighted and, and probably contributes to this issue as well is, is this issue about just not enough disabled people in decision-making positions across these companies in technical roles and in leadership roles too, who will, you know, ask the question around the table, who will be alert to potential issues. So I think it, it really all comes back to that as well. That's the biggest challenge, isn't it? Yeah. And also it's a big question. Do you want more disabled people at the table or do you want, I mean, we obviously want the mix of people. We don't want it just to be all disabled people. Uh, we don't want it to be just all able-bodied people. It has to be that mix, doesn't it? Because otherwise, how does anyone else learn anything? And I guess in some respects, it would be good if the leaders themselves were actually able-bodied people, but with this thought in their minds, with this understanding and, and realising the value of us as, as blind people as customers. If we're serious about designing services that are usable by everybody in a society which is as diverse as you can imagine, then the organisations, the decision-making bodies should reflect that diversity. And I think that also means people who do not have lived experience of disability having accountability for how they are listening to us, you know, what, how they're hearing, how, what they are doing to make sure that even if that voice isn't at the table, that it's definitely in the conversation. I should also say, you know, on the TechShare broadcast here, we're talking to business directly. So I guess from your perspective at RNIB, Ellie, mm -hmm. it's important to say that you know RNIB is open for business in this in this sense to come to RNIB to offer support to businesses who might want to know how to make their websites more accessible or how to enable their shopping experiences to be better for disabled people. The first point of the place to start with this is a conversation. So I think there are very few businesses out there where if you said, you know, digital inclusion, it will increase, you know, number of people who can buy stuff from you or interact with your website or app. There's very few businesses who'd say, oh, no, thanks, you're all right. However, I think where it gets difficult is people knowing what to do. And the thought of um, the legal, um, legal risks, I think sometimes, you know, I, I wouldn't want that to be putting businesses off. So I think there is a conversation has to be the start. We're certainly there, ready to support. And also, you know, we we have a, a large community of blind or partially sighted people we can reach out to, to help to test websites and apps, to help to advise, to give feedback. And that, I think, is a hugely valuable thing for any organisation, public or private sector. For the benefit of balance here, um, <laughs> AbilityNet also has uh, this option available as well for businesses. Absolutely, and there has been a history of the RNIB's web accessibility team and AbilityNet's consultancy team working together collaboratively on, uh, you know, ensuring that there is a, a full uh, appreciation on the part of our clients to make sure that their products and services are fully inclusive. And I would say that's table stakes. I mean, we were talking a moment ago about, you know, the diversity in at sea level, um, at trustee level, at product team level, etc. And we've seen time and again where if a, a service or a product has been created in a bubble, I'm thinking of AntennaGate with the iPhone 4, where <laughs> they never took it outside of the Californian kind of basin, and so they never realised that attenuation of signal was a thing until it went out into the wide world, and that really turned around and bit them. Um, 
you know, in this age of extreme computing where everyone's computing on the edge, regardless of whether they've got a, a disability with a capital D or an impairment, you know, we're all uh, using technology in extreme environments. Accessibility and inclusive design should be table stakes. And that's where disabled people can really add value. And, you know, they should be represented at every level. And as far as an accessibility champion, it's not enough to have one. Obviously, you you need to, but even at sea level, one person championing accessibility within an organisation isn't enough. No. You need one within every department, within every team, and in fact, every team member needs to be invested as well and passionate about doing things in an inclusive way. And then, you know, us, we're all visually impaired around the table here, we'll have a much better experience on a daily basis online. It's still a really tough environment yeah, out there. it is. Ellie, uh, thanks so much for coming on to the uh, podcast Pleasure. and sharing your thoughts. Thanks, Ellie.